Good morning, Deep Run Church family. This morning we will be reading from the English Standard Version. Um, Go ahead and feel free to read along with me from uh, John chapter 5. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, For Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise." For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father." Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Just pray with me for a minute, please. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You'll never be 100% again, but you can manage your pain and you can get stronger, but you'll never be 100%. Those were the words I heard my physical therapist say to me a couple of years ago. I had, I had been having for a few years uh, episodes of debilitating neck and head pain from previous 
uh, cancer-related operations and bouts of radiation therapy, and um, I was in rehab trying to find answers and get well, and, you know, those words, you'll never be 100% again, but, you know, you can, you can manage this and do better. Uh, was, was what I heard. That was a new normal for me. What had been a long battle against cancer in my body became a battle of a different nature with my pain. Uh, but the battlefield was no longer my body. The battlefield with pain was my mind. Um, it was a battle that I didn't know how to fight. And I learned over time uh, and I still know that just as real as the pain itself in your body is the fear of pain in your mind. You know what I'm talking about? I, some of you are, are old enough to have experienced chronic pain. Uh, maybe you're younger, but maybe you've had a sports injury, right? Or a work-related injury, or you were, um, uh, you've got anxiety that you wrestle with, or, or depression. At some point, some physical or chemical sign of living as a broken person in a broken world, right? At some level, you probably know what I'm talking about, and if you don't yet, you will someday. Whatever the case is, I'll, I'll just repeat, you know, I forgot the clicker. Um, can anybody find the clicker and bring the clicker to me, it, or it's going to be a long day of me telling you to advance slides. Sorry. You, there's a USB dongle and a USB thing, and I need the clicker. Sorry. Um, we'll, we'll just do the best we can. Sorry for the disruption. I just want to ask you if, if you know what I'm talking about. I'm just going to repeat Jesus' words to the invalid he met. Do you want to be healed? Right? If you can relate to anything I've said, do you want to be healed? What did Jesus mean by that? We'll talk about that in a little bit. What do you want him to mean by those words? Thank you. What do you want Jesus to mean by those words? Well, we'll look at that later as well. I hope you understand. I hope you will discover. And uh, we need a USB, a white dongle, um, to go into my computer, the projection computer, and that'll communicate with this. For now, can you just go to the next slide, please? Um, what I want to communicate today is that Jesus liberates us from our afflictions to participate in the power of his work. The Son of God liberates people from their afflictions so that they can participate in the newness and the power of his work. I'm going to try and flesh that out for the next 25 minutes or so. And I want to talk about three aspects of our affliction. Despair in our affliction. And I want to talk about exercising faith in our affliction. And I want to talk about having hope through our afflictions, okay? The despair in affliction, faith in affliction, and hope in affliction. Despair is a common mood when somebody's affliction tends to dominate their life. Now, the scene at the pool called Bethesda uh, was sad 
and pathetic, right, as we read this. So there are two pools. They were surrounded by five roofed porches or colonnades uh, outside of the temple in the northeast corner of ancient Jerusalem. Um, These pools, according to popular tradition at the time, uh, were believed to be miraculous in some way. And even some of your English translations shed light on that, uh, a later variant that crept crept into some ancient copies of the New Testament, uh, reflecting that ancient tradition that these waters at Bethesda had healing powers. There's no historical proof of any kind of miraculous thing happening at the pools of Bethesda. Uh, It could have been supernatural, what developed that tradition of belief there. It could have just been, some people think, an underground spring that fed those pools and had a medicinal, you know, kind of a mineral type quality to it. And maybe over time, some people were healed. Whatever the case may have been surrounding the beliefs of that pool, whatever the cause, the pool attracted crowds of physically disabled people. They were staying there, some of them on their mats, waiting for the waters to stir again, and waiting, waiting to be healed. And one of those invalids, uh, as John calls them, one disabled person was a man who uh, had his disability, whatever it was, for 38 years, John tells us, 38 years. So life expectancy back then, this had to have been nearly the man's entire life, if not his entire life, almost four decades and he's there, and he's there alone. Bethesda, which meant house of outpouring, Bethesda was a place of illness and sadness, and for many of the people who stayed there, a false hope. But Jesus was about to bring the outpouring of God's power into that place. Now, that wasn't a place that you would just go and hang out or teach the crowds, Jesus purposefully went there. You can see it by how he interacts with this man. In verse six, he says to him, when Jesus, let's see, John says, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? And that question further illustrates that Jesus went there with a purpose. Because if you're familiar with the four Gospels, in most accounts of various types of, of infirmaries that Jesus heals, the recorded accounts are that the disabled people find Jesus, right? And they ask him, they plead with him to heal them. But in this instance, Jesus finds him and asks him, do you want to get well? And the man's response is weird, right? It's the man's response is awkward. Um, he, says, he says, sir, I, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. It's kind of an awkward thing that he does. And, and it's, not, it's not uncommon, however, for somebody whose affliction has dominated their life. Now, he's a lonely man, right? He says, I have no one to help me. He's also a defeated man. Yeah, when I try and go down, somebody comes in front of me and I can't get there. And he calls Jesus, sir. He's not even aware of who it is that has approached him and asked him if he wants to get well. Um, He's kind of aloof to who Jesus is 
and what Jesus is asking of him. He's kind of acclimated to his illness. He's dominated by his condition so that he can't even comprehend who is talking to him and what Jesus is asking him. And when Jesus does heal him, he just kind of gets up and walks away. Eventually, he rats Jesus out because the religious officials are all hot and bothered over the fact that Jesus healed somebody on the Sabbath and they're looking for whoever this was and the man doesn't know who it is. He didn't even know who it was. He just got up and walked away. And then he finds him later and he tattles on him. Hey, that's the guy who healed me. Most commentators on this passage say that this man, this invalid, this, this, um, he, it's, he, he is the opposite of a positive example of faith and gratitude that you see in some of the people that Jesus healed. And the proof of that, I think, is if you go to verse 14, what does Jesus say when he finds him later in the temple? He says, see, you're well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. So disability, at least in this instance with this individual, disability is not this man's only problem. We'll see later, Jesus heals somebody, a blind person, and this is not the case. But here, somehow, the man's own sin is a part of his affliction and his entire outlook on his life. What do we make of such an awkward response to Jesus? Jesus offers somebody healing, and and the individual responds in an awkward way. What do we do with that? Well, I want to suggest to you that exercising faith in your affliction means more than wanting relief. Exercising faith, biblical faith, the kind of faith the Bible describes and talks about, faith is more than just wanting relief or the cessation of whatever your struggle is. Faith begins, at least begins with a desire for God's presence in your affliction whether your relief comes or not. Faith starts with wanting God to be present in what you're going through. The Apostle Paul had, uh, had this thorn in his flesh, he described it, in his letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul had some physical ailment that was bugging him and wouldn't go away, and he went as far as to call it a messenger of Satan to keep him from becoming arrogant. So somehow, and I think we can relate to Paul, somehow in Paul's life, a physical ailment became for him a psychological and spiritual battle. And it was such a battle for Paul that he even asked the Lord Jesus more than once, more than twice, at least three times, would you take this away from me? And he records it for his Corinthian friends. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Have you ever done that before? Three and counting, 10 and counting, 20 and counting. Have you never stopped praying for relief? Three times I prayed that this should relieve me, that this should leave me. But he said to me, Paul writes, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Interesting. 
So the power of God, Paul believed and experienced, is not only evident in a miraculous healing, but the power of God is evident as one continues in weakness. Paul went on to say, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And so we learn from the Apostle Paul here that sometimes grace heals us. In his grace, by the power of God, we are healed completely like the invalid. Sometimes, though, God's grace enables us to just endure an affliction indefinitely. That's still the grace of God, the strength to endure. But all the time, Paul tells us God's grace is enough. Sometimes we're healed by the grace of God. Sometimes we are empowered to endure by the grace of God. But always, all the time, God's grace is enough. And that's what faith comprehends. You see this this handicapped man by the pool of Bethesda unable to comprehend the man who was talking to him and the man who healed him. But faith comprehends that whether you're healed or whether you're enduring, God's grace is enough, and he becomes enough. That's still the power of God. So here, think about this this week. Follow Jesus out of your own affliction. It sounds simple, I know. (laughs) Pick up your mat, get up, and walk away. Follow Jesus out of your affliction, whatever that affliction is. Now, before you throw something at me, because that sounds really easy, let's talk about what I mean. Following Jesus out of our affliction sometimes is as simple as asking the elders to pray for you or asking the men and women in our church to pray over you And sometimes the Lord heals us that way. And maybe that's what it means to you. But often, often following Jesus out of your your pain requires a combination of various things. For instance, meditation and prayer. Scripture meditation and prayer. Letting the word of God seep into your life and thinking about it and praying to God in response of what the word of God is telling you. A combination of scripture meditation and prayer. But it's more than that. Following Jesus out of your affliction sometimes is about self-discipline. Learning how to order your life differently. Learning new habits learning new ways and patterns of thinking. Sometimes following Jesus out of your affliction means getting counsel. Whether you have to read something or educate yourself on the medical or psychological aspects of whatever it is that you're going through, sometimes counseling means, yeah, you pay a professional to counsel you. Or it may mean you go to a trusted friend or leader for counsel. But always, always, whatever combination of all of this you must engage in, always what is needed to follow Jesus out of your affliction is patience. Patience. Of course you want relief. I want relief for you. We want relief for you. We want relief for each other. I'm not saying we don't pray for that. And I hope the Lord brings you relief. 
But you really have to ask the question, do you want to be healed? That's what Jesus is saying. Faith in affliction seeks more than relief, more than the cessation of what is persecuting you. We have to ask ourselves, in our affliction, who is the master here and who is the servant? John chapter 4 portrays both an individual who is enslaved and an entire corporate body, a group of people who together are enslaved. Right, let me show you. You have a man for 38 years, indefinitely, hopelessly disabled, but he's like almost resolved to his condition and obedient to the affliction. In his wonderful book, The Rest of God, Mark Buchanan writes that sickness can actually steal the place of God. It can become the sick person's center, the touchstone by which he defines himself. Illness is a tyrant with huge territorial ambitions. It's a seductress with large designs. It wants not only the sick person's body, it wants his heart and mind also. It wants to be his all-consuming passion. And he went on to write, no wonder Jesus once asked a man he meant to heal, do you want to get well? He's quoting the NIV translation. Maybe the man didn't, strange as it sounds. Maybe his sickness had become his haven, his lover, his overlord. And no wonder Jesus was so responsive to any old beggar or leper or blind man who threw caution to the wind and outright begged for healing. Not everyone wants to get well. So you have this man who is hopelessly enslaved to his condition, but then you have a group of men enslaved to theirs. The holy leaders, or as John refers to them, the Jews. Now listen, this is not all Jews. This is not anti-Semitic. John was Jewish. He's speaking about a particular group of Jewish religious leaders and those who supported them, a body of people who saw Jesus as a threat and who are opposed to him. And as you see, as Jesus heals this man on the Sabbath, it sets in motion a process of conniving and scheming and planning amongst this religious group of leaders that will result in his execution. But you have this group of religious leaders, these holy men, and they don't care that a man was healed. They just care that he was healed on the Sabbath. They care that he, being healed, picked up you know, his, his, little, his little mat, his bed, and walked out of the place. That's what bothered them. That's what they were excited about. Not that a miracle had transpired but that somebody broke, not the law of God, not the fourth commandment, which, yeah, clearly says, hey, rest one day out of the week. Take one day out of the week, stop working, and rest. Yeah, that's in the Bible. That's not what they were upset about. They were upset that he picked up his mat and walked out of this stinking place that he had been in alone, crippled for years. That's what bothered them. They were enslaved to a legalism that disabled them to respond to the needs of the people around them. Their system could not account for the needs of that man. 
and the people surrounding that man at that pool. That's a different type of spiritual blindness as we talked about last week. So you've got one guy enslaved to his condition and you've got a host of people enslaved to their system. And look, as a church, we should take note of any systemic obstacles that are getting in the way of our ability to minister to people. We need to look at our religious system, our religious traditions, our broader traditions, and ask ourselves, is there anything getting in the way of people seeing Jesus for who he truly is through our ministry? Vitally important. So, like the invalid, you may not want to get well. Like those leaders, we may not want to help. And Jesus stands in the middle of all that, and he says, do you want to be healed? And he offers hope in affliction. We have to ask ourselves, in my affliction, who is the master and who is the servant, right? We have to ask ourselves that question. I will tell you that chronic pain is still very much a part of my life, but it no longer is my master. It no longer, by the grace of God, it no longer dominates me. So we have to ask ourselves, who is the master and who is the servant in this affliction? And Jesus, Jesus, when you find the scary answer to that question, Jesus offers hope in your affliction. He offers you the hope that God is always working for you. This is beautifully comforting, and it's amazing to think that the creator of the universe is always working for you, even in your affliction. What does he say? What is Jesus' response to the religious leaders and their outrage over what he did. His first, uh, it's this beautiful discourse, this beautiful discourse monologue that Jesus uh, speaks throughout the rest of the chapter. And it all begins with a simple phrase that he offers to them in verse 17, right? You healed somebody on the Sabbath? And he simply says, my father is working until now, and I'm working, right? Another way of saying that is, my father has always been working, and I'm working too. What he's getting at there, at there is this, that even the Sabbath does not stop God from sustaining the universe. That even the Sabbath does not stop God from pursuing people, from pursuing you. God has entered, as it says in Scripture, God has entered into his rest. On the seventh day, God rested, we are told in Genesis. And in the Psalms and in the book of Hebrews, we are told that God lives in his rest. And yet Jesus says he is always working for us. The rest of God does not prevent God from pursuing you. And yes, even from healing you. Can you believe that? This is our hope in affliction. That God never stops arranging all things for our good. In Romans 8, Paul put it a different way, right? He's, he, he says, all things work for the good of those who love God and have been called according to his purpose. It doesn't say God makes everything good, that everything works out good. No, God works all things for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. You see, Jesus is saying, even in your affliction, 
God is working all things for your good. I, Jesus says, am working all things for your good. And in that hope, we make affliction our servant. In that hope, you make... I'm sorry. I'm being afflicted by a wily microphone today. In that hope, you make affliction your servant. In that hope, we make our afflictions subservient to the glory of God and for the good of others. That's key. That's important. We make our afflictions subservient to the will of God and for the good of others. And Paul, again, in the very same letter, at the very beginning of that letter at 2 Corinthians, he calls, he says about God that he is the God of all comfort who comforts us in our afflictions. Why? So that you may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which you yourself were comforted by God. And so you, you rise up, you get up off your mat, right? You follow Jesus out of your affliction so that he can use you in the process of helping somebody else out of theirs. You see, Jesus liberates us from our afflictions to participate in the power of his work. So in faith, let's, let's follow Jesus out of the despair of our afflictions and into the needs of others as we begin to hope in a Savior who will never stop working for you, will never stop working for your good. And in his grace, he will give you the power, if not to heal you completely or to uncloud your mind completely, he will give you the power to endure it because as he said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for never giving up on us. Thank you for pursuing us when we were completely unaware of your identity and your impact. Please, Lord Jesus, keep working. And we will too. Amen.